Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another episode of the podcast. My name is Warren. I'll be your host for this show with Mr. Grant Sheldon. The way the kind of food system is set up, it's not set up for you to eat healthy. Like, you have to go out your way to, to make sure you're eating healthy nowadays. And... Grant is an elite-level triathlete. He's come top five in multiple events on the World Triathlon Series. He's represented Scotland in the Commonwealth Games several times. And on top of that, he's also had multiple podiums at World Cup events. Grant knows his way around a little bit of pain cave and a lot of performance all in the world of triathlon. Now beyond this, Grant is also personally on a plant-based diet. And his plant-based diet creation story is perhaps the best I have ever heard. Um, I'm not going to spoil all of it right now. Uh, You'll hear it from the man himself in a moment. But suffice to say, it involved a bike crash and a jaw being wired shut for a number of weeks. Now, as Grant has worked on his diet and his performance going forwards, he's had to overcome all of the usual obstacles of a plant-based diet. You're traveling, you're around the world, you're busy, you can't get the food you need. How do you manage that control? Grant has the answers for you. Where do you get your protein? What do you do for recovery? Grant, he's got answers for you there too. But beyond this, this is going way past uh, purely nutrition because we want to know what makes people like Grant tick. What can we learn from them that can lift our own performance? And clearly, nutrition is a huge part of that game. But another part of it is the mental game. Don't worry, Grant's got some stuff up his sleeve there for you. If you're needing to raise yourself on race day or to push through a session, he's got a couple of tricks in the bag. And one of the ones that I love, he's from Scotland. He's not afraid of toughing up a little bit. And in fact, he says sometimes you have to embrace those horrible sessions. That doesn't just mean the pain. We're talking the rain, the cold, the wind. Early in the morning, you don't want to go. You shouldn't put yourself through the ringer on that weekly but you've got to go there sometimes. It's going to help you when you need to dig a little deeper into the Hurt Locker on race day. So look, tons of value coming up ahead from Grant Sheldon. And as ever, this show is sponsored by 33 Fuel Natural Sports Nutrition. When you need the very best natural nutrition for your performance, give your body everything it deserves. This stuff is not more expensive than ordinary sports nutrition. It's just much, much better. It tastes better. Your body will respond better. Your results will improve. You might actually find yourself looking forward to taking your nutrition out on that long bike or on that long run or getting that protein in after a session. Seriously, this stuff is game-changing. Go check them out at 33fuel.com. But not before you've enjoyed this show with Grant Sheldon. Grant Sheldon, thank you very much for coming to join us on the podcast today. Thanks for having us. Looking forward to it. I think we, uh, I think we can have a have a bit of bit of fun here. Um, just looking looking back a little bit, cast the clock back. Um, it's fair to say you're a pretty bloody good triathlete. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about some of the sort of career highlights and things to date? Just give people a bit of background to get us kicked off. Yeah, so I'm. 26 now. I've um, been doing triathlon a decade, maybe. Maybe a little bit over a decade. I um, was originally a swimmer. I uh, realised I was never going to be big enough or tall enough to, to do well at that. So crossed over into triathlon. Um, 
and yeah, some success as a as a youth and a, and a junior, um, culminating in a podium at World Juniors in 2013. Um, from then, moving on to seniors, uh, representing Scotland a couple of times at Commonwealth Games, a um, couple of two or three um, podiums at World Cups, a best result probably fourth at WTS uh, race in Edmonton um, a few years back, and yeah, trying to trying to break through onto that that senior senior circuit. And I mean, in terms of making that breakthrough, because that's quite the CV you've built up already. And and as anyone uh, who's done anything long enough would know, overnight success is never overnight. Um, there's tons of work goes in behind it. What what's that sort of next breakthrough that you you're looking for, and and how do you see your your path to it? Yeah, for me, like I guess I see my career as being very up and down so far. Um, I have some great results, and that's been interspersed with a lot of a lot of downtime. Whether that's been coming off bikes or having some accidents in some way, so it's taken me out of the sport for for months or seasons at a time. Um, so when I say I want to break through, it's it's getting to that top level WTS and and staying there, um, repeating the results again and again, and competing against the best guys in the world. Uh, and you, you've almost handed me the most perfect segue on a platter there. You've talked about interruptions through uh, injury or maybe bike crashes, for example. Um, yeah. This leads us to your journey nutritionally because you've been fully vegan and plant-based for, what, five years now? Yeah, yeah, just about five years. Yeah, we're not in the new year, I think. Um, uh, yeah, so... My story is in 2015, uh, out of bike ride um, with my friend and we're in the middle of nowhere and I had a slow puncture in my front wheel and I slipped going downhill um, over the bars and landed on my face. <laughs> so, yeah, ended up being wired shut for six weeks, um, which wasn't very fun. I, and that meant that I had to have all my food and, and, and drink through a straw, really, um, which is an experience. So that kind of led me to having a lot of smoothies, a lot of soup, just a hell of a lot of fruit and veg, really. Um, and I felt awesome. Never felt better in my life, um, which made me read into it a little bit more and explore whether there was a performance advantage there. I love that. It's, uh, I mean, it, we've all been pushed and challenged to do things we wouldn't normally do throughout lockdown and, and find new ways. But, um, you know, you handed something that's, on the face of it, really not good for you, i.e. a big bike crash onto your face. Uh, where's the positive? There, there should be an advantage in every disadvantage if you go and look for it. Not yeah. only did you go and look for it, it, it almost found you as well. And there you were. You come out the other side feeling better. Um, and this is something that, what, what was your thought process there where, I mean, did you connect the dietary change to the feeling change or, or did that take a while? What, how, how did you, you put the things together? It was instant. It was instant for me. I, I, I just, I was so surprised, like, um, coming around from like surgery and feeling so 
drowsy and terrible for like a good couple of weeks and um and then after that just the amount of energy I had I and just how I don't know how vibrant I felt um yeah it was it was quite a, a sudden link um and yeah. at that point I mean did you then go right that's it I I, I want to stick with this plant-based diet and that's going to be it forever or was it a step-by-step thing because I mean Five years, that's a long time. You, you were there with this yeah. movement before it was even cool, right? But yeah. <laughs> at the moment, were you thinking, I'm going to do this forever? Or how did you go about it? I, as I said, like, I, was, I did it for performance reasons. I wanted to see if it could help me get faster and recover better and be a better triathlete. Um, so I guess when I went into it, did I think I'd do it forever? I, I didn't know if it worked yeah, why not? If it didn't, if it didn't know, um, I think like over the first few months, I was quite nervous to tell people um, what I was doing. So it was all kind of behind closed doors. And, um, if I was like eating with people, then I would eat meat or have dairy or whatever. So it was like, it was a bit of a gradual process. So and it was where were you? Were you living in Scotland at the time? Because you're down in the south. Which said down on the south coast now, aren't you? Yeah, so I was up. I was up in Stirling at the time. Um, I was in Stirling for seven years. Um, went there. Uh, uh, when did I go there? Twenty twelve. Um, twenty eleven, twenty twelve. Start university and then um, kind of stayed there for a while. So, but yeah, moved down to the the very south south of England. Um, the start of this year, really. Um, so yeah, big move. So the. I mean, just sticking with the food side of it, when you made the shift, you're feeling a performance benefit, um, energy levels, recovery, your life revolves around performance and, you know, and your triathlon. And if you hadn't been progressing there, you wouldn't have continued the journey with the nutrition, right? Probably. <laughs> it's, always, it's always hard to tell, isn't it? Like, like if I was feeling rubbish on it, would I have continued? Probably not. Um, because the full reason I did it was to to get better. Um, so yeah, uh, yeah, it, it, I did feel better. I did feel as if I was recovering better. I was getting better, um, and yeah, I was fully fully in, involved. I thought I thought it was working. Yeah. And what about? I remember when we talked before the show. You said some resistance along the way, whether from fellow athletes, competitors, or, or coaches. How, how did that journey treat you? Yeah, it was a little bit, as I said, like it took me a while to kind of say to people what I was doing. And then as it kind of came out, um, a few of the, the coaching staff up in Scotland were a little bit like, hesitant to, to come on board with it. They didn't, probably just didn't understand it, to be honest, and didn't know if it was if it was possible, if I was, going to jeopardise my um, health and athletic career. Uh, but, yeah, so what I did was I spoke to the dietitian up at Sports Scotland, um, a woman called Irene, and she was very positive about it. She was like, right, let's sit down, give me a week of what you're eating, um, so food diary for a week. And we just went through all the, all the nutrients that I was getting, what was maybe I was missing a little bit of of something or other and and how we could make that make that perfect um 
and as it turned out, I was missing very, very little. Um, and it was, it's one of the things like you're, unless you're eating a lot of junk food, you're you're eating a lot of fruit and veg, so um, you're hitting most micronutrient targets anyway. So it's easy to be healthy, I think. I think I think so because it being plant based or vegan, it doesn't automatically mean health. There's just as much, if not more, vegan junk food out there. Um, yeah. You know, you can eat chips all day. You, you will be vegan. It's not going to be very good for you. Um, but obviously, you were a lot more conscious about it than that. And it sounds it sounds that it was helpful that there was someone there who took a positive view of it and was happy to run with you and sort of be a soundboard, a professional soundboard for you on on the experiment as it developed. Oh yeah, definitely. Like it was invaluable. And in that first year, like there was some some kind of macronutrient things. So I was just having a hell of a lot of carbs and not kind of much protein or fat. And as kind of years developed, we just progressed that a little bit and made sure I was still hitting all that, all the all the targets, making sure I was getting all my vitamins and minerals um, and just making sure I was getting enough energy, getting it at the right times. Um, and yeah, it was, it was super beneficial. I think there was one point where, like you said about the junk food and, it reminds me, even five, six years ago, like when I when I started, there wasn't the same junk food in the in the supermarkets. It it, it just wasn't there. Um, so you you couldn't eat it. Like I think that's one thing that was so beneficial for me. Um, they just because all the all the sweets and junk weren't there, and I had adopted this. I'm I'm going to eat plant based. I'm not going to touch that um, attitude. Then. I swerved off the, the sweets and junk food for so long. Um, and as the years progressed, that's gradually crept back in. But. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's a great point, that, because it has been a rapid move. And I mean, I think it's probably, I've been plant-based, it's it's worked for me, but that's got to be four, four years now, four and a half. Um, and you're right, actually, thinking back, there was more of an element of, if you want it, you've got to cook it. And, and therefore you do. But what are your what are your go tos now? Because you you must have your your diet for your your racing and your training pretty nicely fine tuned. Um, walk me through a sort of a training day's favourites of you know breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks that that kind of thing. But I'd I'd love to know more yeah. about that. Yeah, so I, I eat very very simply. I'm a big advocate and not being. Yeah, not being too too crazy with what I eat, especially like the volume that that I end up eating to to cover my energy needs. Like it's a lot of simple food and not much preparation time. But I guess so. I wake up in the morning um, and generally early morning swimming. So up at the back of four in the pool for five, um, and it's it's a quick snack. Whether that's a banana or a big on jam or something, just something to quite kickstart the system. Um, and then, yeah, get back from swimming. And more often than not, I'll have a big bowl of oats, um, make sure there's lots of berries in there and um, some dates for a bit of sweetness. I quite like that. Um, and, yeah, just some plant-based milk and, and good to go. Uh, after that, what we'll have, um, generally do a bit of training, uh, or go back to bed. <laughs> I was about to say, I, I, I'm just checking the line wasn't cutting out. 
up at four in the pool at five. That, that, I did hear that right, didn't I? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we are yeah. talking AM, right? Yeah, for sure. I know it's not it's not ideal, um, <laughs> but it's just the way. Like I train with a local swim club, um, and they're all kids, and they need to go to school. So, <laughs> well, I, I imagine as well um, from what I hear of of the the swimming circuit, which is your background anyway. That's kind of normal in swimming, two hours before school sort of routine. It is when you're a kid. Like, as you get older and you go to uni, sometimes you can be lucky enough to not start till seven or eight. <laughs> a lion. Yeah, which is really nice when I did it. Um, and then, yeah, obviously, they swim in the afternoon or whatever, and, and we'll do bike and run or, or, or whatever else we have. But... Yeah, back to the back to the early starts for me. <laughs> well, I mean, you, you are you are training three sports. Um, you got to fit them in somewhere, right? Oh yeah, for sure. It's a busy day. A I busy bet. Day. So okay, so we, we've got the four a.m. start. We've got the we've got the snack beforehand. We've got the oats and stuff afterwards. Maybe a bit of a yeah. nap. I think everyone here would agree that's very well earned nap that you're having at that point. Um, and then yeah. we get to the time when most people will be getting up, and, and off you go. Yeah, well, I, when I say nap, I'm like in a two, three-hour oh, basement sleep. Nice. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it'll be, be about midday when I wake up. Um, and kind of depending on what I have. If I've got a run session, then it'll be another quick snack, um, piece of fruit, or depending on what I had in the morning, maybe another bag on jam or, or, or whatever, and I'll go into a run session, just something light that I can digest quick and, and out the door. Um if not, then I'll have some lunch. If it's a bike session, I, I can I can eat a bit more and and can to- tolerate it. Um, so yeah, for lunch, I generally generally have leftover dinner <laughs> from the night before. So pretty much whatever I had the night before, I'll uh, heat up again and have that for lunch. And I remember when we spoke, you, you said one of your um, big swaps for for when you went to a plant based diet was simply. Looking at things you would have previously cooked for meat and swapping the meat for beans. Yeah, yeah. As, as I said like before, I'm very, very simple. Um, and yeah, so my dinners will be you know, your typical carbs, whether that be rice, pasta, potatoes, whatever. Um, then lots and lots of veggies, some nice sauce of some description, whether you make that yourself or. So a jar, <laughs> if you're being lazy, uh, and then yeah, just wherever whatever I used to have meat, it's it's beans now. Um, plenty of protein, tastes good, simple to eat. Yeah, happy days. And 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 away you go. Now, this this all works while while you're at home. Uh, traveling, traveling yeah. is where I think anyone who transitions to. Any sort of more specific diet, whether you're going keto, whether you're going plant-based, whatever it may be, um, it's fine when you have control of the cooking environment, the ingredients and everything else. When you then travel, you go to a restaurant, you go to a friend's house, or in your case, you're traveling for competition. gets a bit harder, but um, you had a rather good solution for that. Well, yeah. So, like, my sport, it takes you to all corners of the globe. Um very very lucky in that regard and yeah some places you go and it'll be it'll be amazing like going to australia and you'll have all your smoothie bowls and you, 
yeah, just awesome. Lots of good fruit and, and veg and stuff. And it's like veganism and plant-based eating is a big scene over there. Um, but then, yeah, you go to countries like the countries I've found most difficult, like Japan or, or Spain, which very meat-centric. Um, particularly in Japan, where the language barrier is significant, to say the least. Um, so, yeah, whenever I go away to race now, I'll bring a rice cooker with me. Um, just like a little small compact one. And I'll literally cook all my meals in the hotel room, um, just in the rice cooker. So I can just go to the supermarket and eat what I normally eat. So literally, I mean, is this... I'm I'm fascinated by this idea. Rice cookers are get. I've never tried using one for cooking a one-pot no. meal, but do you literally just chuck everything in, add the water and leave it? Pretty much. So... I think the one I've got is just rice cooker. You get the pot and uh, in it, you whether you have rice pasta, stick that in water, stick it on, and then the one I've got has got a little bit of a shelf um, that you can take the veggies on. So the veggies like steam, um, and yeah, just put the lid on, let it do its thing, and however long later, ten twenty minutes later, you've you've got a meal. <laughs> <laughs> That's great, and and do your uh, what do your what do your teammates and fellow competitors make of this, or or even coaches when you're hold, hold up in the room with your rice cooker, or, or is or is everyone hold up in the room with something or other? Yeah, I think I think they accept it now. Um, like it's a bit different. We used to always go out for dinner. Um, that was the big thing. Like before a race, you would just go to local restaurants and eat what what you could. So. In a social sense, I'm kind of missing out on that, um, and everybody else kind of still does that, which is it's a nice thing to do, especially before a race. You kind of chill out and chat to some folk. Um, but yeah, it's just a, a, a needs must really for me now. Well, it seems quite stoic in a way and quite simple, um, but obviously you feel that the benefits of maintaining that consistency of the fueling that you know works for you. At the key, at those key moments before a race, when you're managing, you know, if, particularly if you've gone somewhere like Japan or Australia, you've got time yeah. zone difference, you've got climate difference, you've got race pressure, but you can keep that stability in, and obviously that's of greater value to you than the than the night out and the, and playing a wild card on who knows quite what your dinner's going to be. Oh, 100 percent, hundred percent. Like the amount of people that have went to race and then the days before they've got food poisoning because um, they've been to some dodgy restaurant. So it it does it it mitigates a lot of risk um, and yeah it keeps that consistent. Like it's not the most glamorous thing to do and meals can be quite bland in that week because um, you're just very very simple. Um, but when you're when you're away to race and it's yeah you just got got that focus on. It's I think it's a good way to do it. And I think it, it yeah, having that. It's one less decision to make, isn't it? At a time when you're, you know, you need everything, the processes to fall into place. You're not thinking about what to eat because it's there, it's done. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's a stressful week. Like, um, you, you go to race and you got to travel there and, um, and then to find restaurants and stuff, especially restaurants that cater for plant based, plant based eating, um, was very difficult. Um, and then I was like, I stopped doing that in, 
and started cooking myself. So it's good. I, I just like that control over over what I'm doing and it's one less stress. If I've got control over it, then um, it's on me. Yeah, and similar to the training, you know how, how that food sets you up, you know how you're going to feel, you know how you react to it, and you're not running the, the risk of, of food poisoning, which whereas it's not that big, I think, do you find that since you've been on a more, or since you've been on a totally plant-based journey, um, then food quality become you know you do you notice the difference in food quality in restaurants more like if it's not quite that good you feel it a bit more or is that something you've not not discovered i don't know maybe i need to discover this maybe you've got maybe you're onto something that i'm not <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't know whenever i go out to eat i don't i don't i don't go out to eat and expect a healthy meal um if you know what i mean like if i'm going out to eat i, I don't mind treating myself uh so yeah, I've, I've not noticed that, but I don't know. Maybe you'll need to share some some restaurants or get <laughs> some good food. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think it's just probably the way the way the palate evolves and stuff. And I, I've certainly found that restaurants I enjoyed, even if I'm still eating, yeah, you know, I'm not eating the meat or anything like that. It's still a, a veggie option, whatever. But something yeah. just the oil it's been cooked in or something like that. Yeah. I'm more aware of the fact that things I used to enjoy pre plant based. I don't really enjoy much or they taste a bit different now and it feels like there's a big step down in quality because you've just got used to making so much more of it yourself. Yeah, I'd 100% agree with that. Like most meals that, yeah, you go out and eat, it it tastes unhealthy. Like you know that you're going to feel a bit sluggish and a bit rubbish after it. Um, but yeah, I just said it's probably just because it's, doused in oil and lots of salt and um, what have you but, yeah. yeah but this I mean your journey with with nutrition it, it it's taken you in in more directions as well because you're you're actually studying to become a dietitian now aren't you yeah um yeah so a couple of years ago I kind of thought well, something that I wanted to wanted to do wanted to educate myself and in turn educate try and educate other people um, because of, I guess, what I've discovered and how beneficial it has been to me. And, yeah, if I can help other people and that, that, that would be awesome. And, and it also gives me a, a career path once triathlon ends because um, it's a sport and you can only do it for, for so much or you can only be at the top for so, so long. Um, so, yeah, that's me and year two now, year two of five, so <laughs> another few years to go. I mean, are there any specific areas that you're focusing on? I mean, I'm, I'm assuming you're looking at a sports focus to it, but I mean, w tell me more. Uh, is there anything I'm focusing on? Not, not, not at the minute, more kind of just general, like human biology and and things like that, kind of getting, a, getting the bases covered. Um, Am I super interested in the sports side? No. Um, I don't know. Like, it's, I think it's just it's such a small niche niche component. Um, I I don't know. I'd like to to expand that a little bit more and just help, like the general Joe blog rather than the elite athlete that's kind of got everything on there. At the doorstep. It's a good, it's an interesting point that because um, 
I mean, one of the things that we see, I mean, it was a huge driver in founding this company in the first place, was that if people are looking to eat healthier or, or be healthier or get more from their bodies, it's very hard to fight your way through all the marketing messages out there. You know, you could go and buy low, low, low sugar ice cream, uh, low sugar, low fat protein bars. Uh, you could yeah. swap your cigarettes for vapes. You could swap your Coke for Diet Coke. And according to all the marketing, you'd have made some big changes to your health. The reality to you as a human being would be you'd be getting an awful lot worse at an accelerated pace. Cutting through that is uh, is a challenge, but offers an opportunity to... I mean, we, we just try and give people an option whereby these are the foods they want to eat, and you don't even have to think about reading the label if you, if that's not your thing. Just eat this yeah. instead of that, and it'll be better for you. But, I mean, is that the sort of thing you're looking at in terms of how can I, how can I help even more people rather than just a small group of athletes? 100%. 100%. Like, I, I even seen the other week, you got you got Mars bar with extra protein in it. I'm like, oh, oh, how is that going to help anybody? <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I 100% agree. Like, the, the way the kind of food system is set up, it's not set up for you to eat healthy. Like, you have to go out your way to to make sure you're eating healthy nowadays. And, yeah, like, if... I think part of that is education, and, and I'd, I'd love to see a, a big system change at some point, but whether that happens or not, it would be... I imagine it would be a long way off. Um, but, yeah, like, in my ideal world, if I could help a few people, um, I, yeah, figure that out for themselves and, and start eating healthier and making making the decisions uh, that are key to their health, then, yeah, I'm all for that. Because it, it, it has, on the one hand, there's the ability to, you know, your your switch, your nutritional switch. And, you know, some people might find, like I said, some people might find keto is the best way for them or what they want to do. Other people might find they just want to reduce a bit of meat. I mean, some people might go way out there and go, do you know what, I'm going to go carnivore. But whatever it is, as people get conscious about it, you got conscious about your nutrition, you felt a benefit, you pursued it, and you were entirely benefit-driven. This is like, how does this make me faster and stronger? But as you've gone down the path, it sounds like the awareness of what that can do for you long-term um, goes way beyond just running a faster race today and tomorrow. Oh, 100%, 100%. Like, I think the longer I've, I've been in the sport, and I appreciate I'm still young, but um, the longer I've been in the sport, it's... I think you, there's a lot of athletes that will do absolutely anything um, to get faster. And, yeah, in some ways that can be detrimental to their health. Um, and, yeah, the, the longer I'm kind of going down this path, the more I'm, think, I'm, I'm conscious of, yeah, could I do this thing? Maybe. Would that make me faster? Maybe. But would that be detrimental to my long-term health possibly and then that's that's a risk cost analysis um that yeah i think i need to be aware of um, yeah. I, I, I think it's something that so many people need to be aware of. it's a brilliant point you make because sports nutrition is a in many areas a classic case for it it looks like 
you know, product X or whatever, it's going to make you run faster or this, that, and the other. But if you use it and then you find out you've got stomach trouble or maybe it's got an ingredient that's linked to a long-term serious health defect, how much faster can it really make you in the short term if long-term it's being linked to something that might make you dead a bit more quickly? Yeah. That, that doesn't seem right. But in the, in the common landscape, it's very common for people to use a number of these products and, and other things. And you said earlier um, you'd like to see the whole sort of food landscape and industry change. Um, and maybe that won't happen. But that can only happen as, you know, people can be inspired by what you're doing, can learn from what you're doing. Like on our own, none of us can really do anything. But if we don't do anything, nothing yeah. happens. So we all have to do something. And then more people do it, then you get big change. You're a key part of that. Yeah, potentially. Um, uh, yeah, I'd like to be anyway. Um, I, I think you're right. It's about it's about education, and it's about giving people the information to make the decisions that are best for them. Um, and uh, that's a hard process. It's a really hard process. Like you know yourself, you you eat something, and it's got that addictive nature. You keep on going back to it, and go back to it, and even though you know that apple's healthier. You go for the chocolate bar, don't you? Um, no, never. I only eat apples. <laughs> I don't, don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> no, but um, yeah, so I, I think it is. It's, it's a long term process for for each individual going through that and just trying to make the small decisions every day, which hopefully um, will create a, a healthier lifestyle in the long run. Yeah, because they they all compound in, in one direction or another. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And the I mean, just on on probably the, the last thing on the nutritional side at the moment is the you went into this for performance reasons, um, but we also touched on the fact that you know environmentally and ethically, you were saying that's become a bit more of a part for you of that journey as well, now that you're very established on, on a plant-based diet. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, I think, like, as I said, I get into it for, for performance reasons. Um, but would I have stayed in it this this long or been this committed to it um, without having something greater than my own self? I don't know. My own selfishness. Uh, maybe I'm pretty selfish, but <laughs> but maybe not. I and I think the more I've kind of delved into it, and the more I've kind of learned, and the yeah, just the, the environmental impact and the the ethical side of it all, probably more so, um, is a big factor that I don't feel as if I could go back, like. When I see meat on a plate now, I I can't help but think that that that's that's an animal, um, and it tugs at my heartstrings a little bit, and I I don't think I could do it. But yeah, so that's definitely it's kept me um, vegan for sure. And now a quick word from our sponsors: the most excellent, most wonderful, most natural thirty three fuel natural sports nutrition. Just remember, when you're looking for the best possible nutrition products for your performance, your health, and your well-being, get yourselves over to 33fuel.com. The stuff doesn't cost any more than ordinary sports nutrition, 
The difference is it's made with transformatively better ingredients. You've got tastier results, you've got better results, you've got healthier results. So look, get yourselves over to 33fuel.com and now let's get back to the show. And do you think that reaction would surprise uh, the Grant Sheldon of, say, 10 years ago as he happily tucked into a steak one afternoon? Yeah, probably, probably. I used to just think it was part of uh, nature, really. Like, one animal kills another animal, and in large part it is for a lot of animals. Um, whether it is for humans or not, like, I don't know. It's, it's probably not for me to say, but we can definitely get by with, without eating meat. Um, I think, yeah, when I was when I was younger, I ate a lot of meat, ate a hell of a lot of dairy. I think at one point I was four pints of milk a day. Um, but yeah, now I I couldn't if I smelled it, I'd feel feel a bit sick. Um, so yeah, big big changes. And I, I think that's a lot testament as well to kind of you mentioned earlier how your palate changes. Um, after a few weeks, after a few months, like things that you think didn't taste very nice suddenly do and things that you've not eaten in a while suddenly they're not very appetizing no but it, it's interesting the, the way that the another side of this that I, I think your work as a dietitian and other things can can begin to improve is that there are some areas of nutrition where sometimes more study is needed and sometimes it's a fallback for people to hold a certain position going well there isn't enough evidence around x or y yet as being a good idea whereas you know there are a lot more people like yourself moving into the field who are ultimately going to be doing some study in these areas and there will be more study of a broader variety of diets and dietary inputs which should only improve everyone's overall knowledge for sure for sure and it'd be awesome to see and um, i think the the big downfall of all is how long things take to trickle down from the research and the knowledge. Like we've known for how long? A century, maybe? That that eating plant based is good for us and it can reverse what heart disease and diabetes and whatever um whatever else. And we don't really the large percentage of the population still don't really know it, do they? Um and yeah, I think it's in one hand it's about doing the research, but on the other hand it's making that information a bit more public and I don't know, maybe maybe that's a media thing, maybe that's a, a governmental thing. Um but yeah, it's about getting that information to to your average person, which I think is the that trickle down effect is has been quite slow historically, I think. Well, it's uh, on the one hand, it sounds very simple, but the, the the quote I like is, "You can't be what you can't see." Yeah. More people yeah. see it, they go, "I get it. That makes sense." There's someone like me. They're doing that. They're doing well. I'm interested. It it makes sense until that reference point is there. It's very hard for a new idea to make sense. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. And I guess that's that's part of the aim, isn't it? Like, if you can show people that you can. I can do a triathlon at kind of top level and, and eat, eat plant-based, then hopefully that makes somebody else think, oh, well, that must be a healthy way to, to go about things. But, yeah. And within this as well, I think um, 
we'd, we'd be remiss not to look at your your toughness. You know, there, there, there's there's obviously a lot of discipline in there, right? You're, we've got 4 a.m. starts for swimming. We've got cooking your own food in the rice cooker on race day. And in case anyone uh, hadn't quite noticed the accent, you're from Scotland where it's quite cold and wet and you are absolutely determined to pursue a career in a largely outdoor sport. Well, an entirely outdoor sport. So, I mean, do you feel that growing up and beginning your career as a triathlete in Scotland, um, does that give you an advantage or a disadvantage as you go to compete around the world? Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Like, I've always viewed it as, as an advantage. Um, you probably view it in two ways. A, that one way it's an advantage, the other way it's, it's miserable and, and maybe you don't get the same same hours or, I don't know, the same quality of training as somebody that lives in, in Spain or France or um, or wherever. But, yeah, I, I don't know. I guess for me, like, growing up in Scotland and miserable weather most of the time and I just remember not having not having the kit um, going out long rides in the freezing cold weather raining and just getting through it and that kind of I don't know it always gave me that euphoric feeling afterwards that I'd accomplished something um, and I know now like whenever I go to race and most races are 30 degrees and beautiful sunshine, uh, which is quite fortunate. But if it is inclement weather, then more often than not, I'm I'm up there and I'm I'm one of the one of the ones to watch. Um, so yeah, it's definitely an advantage in that sense. And I think everybody needs that little bit of toughness in their life and to kind of to grow from it, I guess. And. Do I remember rightly that you, you would actually make a point of, you know, every now and again when the weather was particularly awful, making sure you went out and did a really long bike session that was as miserable as possible? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I kind of got a bit, of a bit of a mantra that at least once a year, just to touch base with that suffering, I guess, I would go out for three, four or five hours and on the bike and if it was always if it was under three degrees and raining i think there's nothing that you can wear that will keep you warm um and you'll just get cold and it's miserable and yeah I, I made a point to do that at least once a year just to as i said touch base with that suffering and stay tough yeah and do you find that 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 keeping in touch with that suffering how does that suffering of a miserable freezing long soaking wet gray cold windy ride uh match up with the suffering of pushing through the pain and kicking on at, at the end of a race when when you're all in and you know you, you're into the last stages but how do those two sufferings compare because one is quite easy to see as you know the glory of race day, but the other one is very a very different experience externally. How do they match up internally? I don't know. I don't know if I'd match it up that way. Um, the way I always matched it up was more the the grind of training um, on a day-to-day basis. And I think everybody has those days where they feel 
oh, they don't want to do it. They feel tired and beat up and they've got to wake up uh, back and forth to, to be in the pool for a hard session. And I always looked at it as, as that kind of toughness. Like, if I can grit this out and just keep on moving forward, keep on going, then when it comes to the difficult days where I don't want to do it, I'll keep on, just keep on moving forward and keeping on going. Um, I think that was, that was my thought process to it, but I'm sure it, I don't know, benefits in other ways as well. So for you, it sounds like it was more to do with, if I could get out and train on that day, I could get out and train on any day and consistency is what, what's going to make me the athlete I want to be. Yeah, that's a much more concise way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had the advantage of listening to your explanation to go from. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that's that's what I was trying to do. I think the other side of that is, I mean, you do it for so long, or I've done it for so long, that it's so ingrained as a habit now that you tend to do it anyway, um, which is useful. But, yeah, on these particularly hard days, I think it just you know that you can keep on going. And so with the, with the training, what, what drives you to keep pushing? Yeah, I think it's a personal journey and everybody will have a different answer on this one. Mm -hmm. um, I think for me, it's, I get a lot of joy and satisfaction about seeing what I can do, seeing what my body can do, see how I can get it better and how I can get fitter, faster, stronger. Um, and that process for me is where I kind of get the joy and that's why I keep on doing it because I don't think I've reached that pinnacle yet. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. Like the, one of the, or the, the most, joyful processes I get um, is after an injury when I'm unfit had a bit of a break super unfit because you see that progress happen quicker and quicker and quicker um, and that's that's exciting for me and that's why I do it I think the the, the thrill of the chase and the you know it sounds like you are a, a project for yourself and you know there's more to come you're not finished yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Like there's, I, I think everybody's got the little ideas in the back of their head about what they can do, um, and although they might not voice them or, or whatever, but it's trying to, trying to achieve that potential that you see in yourself, um, is yeah, what I'm trying to do. And when it comes to measuring that progress are you a, a real data geek or do you prefer to go on feel do you compare yourself against last week against last year how, how do you go about that side of the process it's an interesting one like I I did a degree in math um, and everybody always assumes that I'm going to be super numbers orientated and look at all the data and I do record it I've got I've got it somewhere, but how many times I look at it? Pretty much never, to be honest. Um, yeah, I'm very much on feel, very much on feel. I think 
triathlon, quite lucky in a way that you can geek out in all the numbers because there's a lot of metrics you can measure. But in a race, particularly the racing that, that I do, there's there's not really too many numbers that that go along with it. Like most of the race courses are are different and um not very accurately measured. Um so it's almost it's a race it's a it's a true race. Like you're just racing the guy next to you and um yeah, if you can beat them when they beat you last week, then that's progress. Uh, when you're, is that feel something that you've developed over years and experience? Have you always been like that? And, and how would you recommend someone else maybe start tapping into that? Because Strava and, and smartwatches and everything else can, that's before you get into power meters and whatever, can lead to a lot of reliance on numbers, which is good. It, I think it allows for an acceleration of progress, but it can lead to a loss of feel. What, what's, yeah. what's your view on, on sort of building the feel process and then executing with it? I think, just as you touched on, and like everybody wears their GPS watch now. Everybody, or not everybody, a lot of people have, have yeah, there you go. <laughs> hey. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, just taking that off and, Going out your run, going out your bike ride and enjoy it. When you feel when you're going fast and you feel as if you're moving fast, that's that's good. That gives you it's exhilarating and you kind of enjoy that and feel feel the the effort that you're putting in to, to go at that speed and try and call it correlate it, I guess. Um I guess that's what I do. Like it's difficult. It's quite difficult for me to tell somebody because I've literally done it all my life. Um, like from a young kid, I was training hard, and it almost feels quite innate now that I can kind of go by feel. Um, I I don't know what that is like for somebody that that's maybe just getting into the sport um, and relies on on the numbers. But I definitely advise the yeah just go out and run without your watch now and again or, or maybe have it just on just on your timer um, so you don't know how fast you're going but you just know that I'm out for half an hour I'm out for an hour whatever and, and get used to it a bit more in, in that direction because presumably when you started 10 years ago it, it's not exactly the dark ages but that would be a lot closer to stopwatch and notepad than today yeah well if you go back further than that like I've been swimming forever um and as a young kid and i think when you're a, I, when you are a young kid and you train you don't you don't really have access to all the numbers or maybe you do now but i didn't it was you had the pace clock at the side of the pool um and that was it really I, so you kind of you learn to right i'm swimming i don't know how fast i'm swimming for this 50 meters I can check it in 50 meters and I think that really kind of developed my sense of awareness like I need to swim this 50 meters in 35 seconds so I've got 50 meters 50 meters to to work out what that pace is or how that pace feels and when so, yeah. when you're when you're training do you prefer training alone or do you prefer training with a group do you 
Do you cycle it? Um, how do you go about that? I, I enjoy both, to be honest. Um, like I think you've got to enjoy both. Like you, You'd be very, very lucky if you have a group that you can do all your training with and, and all your hours with. Um, me and myself, like, I obviously swim with the group and I think that's really useful for swimming. Um, Run-wise, I go out with some, some local guys and the same with cycling, but there are a lot of times where I'm, I kind of do sessions by myself and it's, I don't know, I guess the motivation side's a little bit harder, but I I, I enjoy it. I'm, I don't know, I'm a bit of a loner, so I don't <laughs> I don't bother too much. And, and I'm guessing from, from what you've been saying about feel that you're probably not going out with the, you know, your headphones on and, and everything charged up that there, there will be at least sort of some of those moments in there where, where it's just you and you and the movement and your sport 100 percent, 100 percent. i think i always say whether it's right or wrong but i always say if you see a person running with a pair of headphones in then they hate running or they're not they're not a lover of the run like yeah i just i enjoy being kind of alone with my thoughts out of run i think it's it's almost a form of meditation. You go out and you can just be with your thoughts and you can focus on focus on that movement and get it ingrained. The same big, big, big in swimming, like every stroke to to actually think about what you're doing um, over and over again. I think it's quite therapeutic in a way. That's a great point. The um, And I'm sure that there's an element of that. But you bring in the movement, you bring in the endorphins, you bring in the sort of separateness you go running on your own you know, it doesn't matter where you are you are sort of in your own environment and i am sure there's a correlation with you know an element of flow state and meditation in, within that yeah 100 percent. i reckon so like there are definitely days where you go out and maybe you get your long run for the weekend you're constantly looking at your watch and it, it, it never ends um and yeah they're the bad ones but you also get those good days where you can tap into that and you feel good you feel focused um and those 90 minutes or however long your long run is just flies by and it, it feels good you feel happy and yeah it's great and on, on that theme actually here's a random question in any extreme moment of sort of physical exertion probably during a race or, or maybe a hard training session have you ever had any or out of body experiences or anything like that? Moments when you're really pushing yourself. <laughs> I don't think so. Like I think you always you always have that little voice in the back of your head, which I don't know, almost doesn't seem real. Like you know that you're moving, you know that you're you're doing something and you're reacting to things and yeah, you've got that little voice in the back of your head that's kind of almost thinking other things. Um trying to come up with excuses to make you stop or or whatever but i've had an out-of-body experience i don't think so yeah. <laughs> maybe i need to do some ultra running um some super long stuff and get some hallucinations going it, it, it might it might be there where it's um i mean it's definitely correlated with the the physical effort but it's uh no, it's something i've come across with some athletes but now you mentioned that it, it is predominantly if not exclusively in the ultra space where massive sleep deprivation is also playing a part in the equation 
yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for sure. Like, I, I, on that point, it's something I want to do when triathlon ends and not so much the competitive thing, but just for the joy of for the joy of sport and go out and do that ultra stuff. So, yeah, maybe in five, ten years we'll get into that. Hey, there's 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 plenty of time for that one, yeah. But um, before you get there, you you are actually on a taper now with a race tomorrow. I understand. Yeah, yeah, I feel very very lucky <laughs> after the year that has been. Um, yeah, not much racing at all. So yeah, there's a cross country, um, which I reckon will be the only one of the year. Um, maybe a few in January, but yeah, hey, should have a good solid field. Um, and yeah, just yeah, just looking forward to going and having fun with it, and, and just enjoy that process of of being on a start line and and racing. And talk talk us through that a bit. What what's your approach to executing on on the big day? Um, you know, whether that be a, a good training race, whether it be an A race. Days coming up, time to execute. Yeah, you're going to need somehow for autopilot or whatever to take over because you can't overthink it. But pressure's mounting. What what's your way of going about about the race day approach? Yeah, for me, like, it's, uh, it has been it's been a process for me. Like, there's been a number of races where I've I've really struggled with it. But when things go well for me, I'm confident. I'm confident in my ability. I, I know that. I've done the work and I, I can, yeah, I, I feel like I'm one of the, one of the best and I almost be a bit cocky about it and yeah, know I'm going to run, run well and um, yeah, it's, it's going into that race with confidence and whether that's kind of artificial or not, like I think that is a real key to just, yeah, make sure that yeah, you're confident in yourself and, and you're happy and you're calm and the performance will happen. Yeah. Are, are there any um, strategies or, or tricks that you use to either make sure the confidence is there, uh, you know, things you know that are more likely to help you arrive feeling confident, or or things you can do to put it there if you're not quite feeling it? Yeah, so I guess like if things have gone well, then it's looking back at the training sessions, which went well and you've hit the numbers and you felt really good and it, it, it correlates with a good performance and that's that's the easy way to do it um i think when things haven't gone well and you've got to try and flip that switch into i don't know almost faking it <laughs> faking that confidence i think it's for me it really helps speaking to my coach and just have him talk to me um I mean, you can say a load of rubbish if you want and just tell me I'm good. Um, yeah, just inflate that ego a little bit um, to give that artificial confidence. And if it lasts the duration of the race, then perfect job done. So basically that, it's not just self-talk. It's, um, it's also looking at you know the reminders. You've done the work. Uh, yeah. This is where you're at, but but also having some, someone else help you with the external talk. Yeah, hundred percent. Like I'm a I'm a big thinker. Like I can get lost inside my head, and I can quite quickly talk myself out of something. 
Um, so having somebody to to chat to and yeah, just quieting my own voice down inside my head and um, yeah, just having somebody else to to tell me tell me these things. I think it's really beneficial. And when you're on that start line, um, is there any change in sort of the 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 approach of the internal voice between the start line before the gun's gone off and then the start of the race when the gun has gone off. Yeah, yeah, I think it's, it's a funny one actually. Like, I'm always super, super nervous. Like, I don't know if you're watching these triathlon races, but they've got everybody lining up and they start playing Pirates of the Caribbean and then the heartbeat music goes just before the just before the the gun and it just it gets you every time. Um, <laughs> it was absolutely awful. The nerves are the nerves are crazy. But um yeah, as soon as that gun goes and as soon as I jump into the water, I don't know, it's almost like the race has started and they kind of fearful thoughts kinda of go away and it's more about reacting to, to what's going around me, like who's that? To my right who's that to my left what do I need to do and um, how am I going to get to that first boy as high up as I can um, and yeah it becomes more just I don't know more in the moment I guess probably a good way to say it and does the does the voice then does it change again towards the end of the race you know when when, when you're digging in for the end or, or are you still in that race moment then I, that varies quite a lot um, it's quite an interest. If you're super struggling, then yeah, sometimes that that voice kind of creeps back and tries to make you pull the pull the brakes a little bit. Um, but yeah, I have had day races where you are still reacting to the end, and I think it especially happens when you're in the race. You're you're, you're fighting for that for that win, and um, yeah, it's still reactionary. I think. Sometimes that voice creeps in a little bit more when you're struggling and maybe you're just off that front pack and things aren't going perfect. Um, yeah, you can start to, to talk yourself out of it a little bit. But then presumably it can go the other way where that flow really is building and you haven't just got the confidence that you've made sure you've put in yourself, but you, your actual performance on the day is feeding that confidence even further have you found it can go the other way as well yeah 100 percent. like you're feeling easy and you know everybody else is suffering and you yeah you just when you're in control of that race like for me i know if i'm off the bike in that front pack then i know i know the race is on for me and and I, that's when the confidence builds that's when that's when things start feeling good and that's when I'm in control. Um, and yeah, that kind of flow state just, just happens and it becomes less about thinking about how hard to push and more about thinking, right, how can I how can I win? When when should I put in this surge? Where should I position myself? Um, get into this get into this like last corner or or whatever. And are you looking at your competitors at that point to try and sound out where they're thinking to move or where they're stronger or weaker in, in you know, or, or would 
do you even sort of dummy moves and, and make them think you're going to do one thing when actually you're saving something up for later? I, I don't know. I, I'm probably not as tactful as that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm more of a, right, let's go as hard as we can for as long as we can and you're not going to be able to keep up for me kind of person. <laughs> Yeah, as as my tactic really, uh, it's quite simple. But I think it's quite honest, and it's kind of the way that that I enjoy racing. Um, yeah, like I think when I do that, you quite quickly see who's who's coming with you, who's not, who's who's going to struggle, and you always know before before a race, like who are the big hitters, um, who do I need to watch out for, who. Can I get in a sprint finish with who? Um, can I not get in a sprint finish with? Um, yeah, you kind of work that out as you go. But... So, so for tomorrow, is is this it? It's uh, as soon as that gun goes, pull pull the pin and you're away. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Tomorrow's a different one. Tomorrow's obviously cross country, so it's just running. And like some of the some of the best runners in Britain are going to be there. Um, <laughs> so. For me, I think it's going to be go with the pace, um, hang in for as long as possible, and kind of make that call towards the end of the race. It's, so it's eight kilometres. So if I get into six kilometres and still leaving with the the main guys, then can start thinking about how how the race is going to unfold. But I think the goal is to stick in as long as possible tomorrow. Well, I wish you uh, all the best of luck with that. I'm sure you've probably got a, a rice cooker or something to get ready quickly now. Um, so I don't <laughs> want to go go messing with your plans there. But um, where can people catch up with you to find more of you, whether it be on social or websites or anything else? Where, where's the best place for people to uh, to keep up with all things Grant Shoulder? Yeah, yeah, I guess the best place to get in touch with me is Instagram probably. Um, just at Grant underscore Sheldon. Um, yeah, if anybody wants to shoot us a message and yeah, contact that way. We'll uh, we'll put we'll put that out on the uh, the show notes and uh, looking forward to uh, hopefully seeing an update from tomorrow's race there. Um, but Grant, thanks so much for coming on. Really, really enjoyable talking with you and great stuff you've shared. Yeah, thanks very much. It's been good fun. Um, yeah, learned a lot. Cheers. So there you have it, folks. Grant Sheldon, give that man a big hand. Now, you don't have to go and get your jaw wired shut after face planting off your bike if you want to try more of a plant-based diet. No, you can just shake up the shopping a little bit, get some more plants, beans, nuts in, maybe get yourself a rice cooker like Grant did. Get stuck in, let us know how you get on. And of course, when you need the finest in natural sports nutrition, then get yourselves over to 33fuel.com. It doesn't cost more than regular sports nutrition. It's just much, much better. More enjoyable, better results, much better for your body. You will notice a difference right away. So look, they're at 33fuel.com. We're here at the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. and We'll see you on the next episode.